everybody, welcome back to the PTC podcast. Um, New Year 2024. This will be our first one out. I'm here with Richard. How are you doing, Richard? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. We're just going to have a little chat, maybe help out people with some goal setting. I put a thing on my story the other day saying people to type in their New Year's resolutions. Okay. I got zero input. Zero. One person wrote hi. <laughs> um, so that tells me that either people are afraid of putting their name to a goal or they're afraid. They're, they're Maybe they're just not interested in talking to me about it. I don't know. Um, but I think I so it also might be that like everything on social media right now is about goal setting and is about new year, new me and all that. So I'm sure people are also a bit tired of it very quickly, you know? Maybe. But let's hope that they've got one more ounce of uh, listening in them because we're going to talk about it. You're going yeah, to give okay. some advice on it. Um, it also could be that people just didn't want to talk to me, which is also highly likely a couple of days after New Year's Eve. So, um, you are, do you want to, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, so I think a coach, psychologist, a business psychologist and coach, something along those lines. Yeah, business psychologist and coach, cool. Yeah. So what is it in, in the business world that you, business psychology? So I think my, my undergrad and my interest came from psychology, came from actual kind of a therapeutic background. Um, but I think as, as I got through it, I think, you know, there, there's... I don't know if you've heard it, there's a phrase where it's kind of, it's easier to make good children than it is to fix broken adults. Right. I, I think sometimes that's quite idealistic to think that we're going to get all of the kind of the teachings and the learnings and all these things into schools and get them also that by the time people get to adulthood, they have all the tools they need. I think that's maybe a little bit unrealistic. So maybe I was thinking that there are so many people who struggle with what you know, you could argue is quite basic that we aren't taught emotional intelligence, we aren't taught uh, resilience in school. So although it would be great to get into schools and get those things into children, in reality, a lot of the time people make it to adulthood without learning these tools. So I think the business side of things is going into people and saying, how can you become the best version of yourself? How can you deal with the things that you're coming up against without having to go back to you know, my dad didn't hug me enough or my parents were too tough on me because I think that can be quite overwhelming for people to approach. What if that is the problem? If that is the problem, then it's therapy. Right. It's therapy. You know, that's the, I, I'm not a therapist. I'm not qualified as a counselor. I'm a psychologist. So I, I, if someone comes to me and they have suffered big T trauma, if you've ever heard of that before, so it's, it's genuine uh, psychological trauma or physical trauma, that's not what I deal with. Um, I'm not dealing with anything that is diagnosable or anything like that. So if you if it's, you know, clinical depression or or generalized anxiety disorder or anything like that, that's not really what I'm what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is trying to get people happy, number one, and competent in dealing what they have to deal with on a day to day basis, whether that be professional or their personal life. So what's big T trauma then? What's well, so like, what's your what's your boundary line? Where do you go, oh shit? So that Again, I'm, you know, that would be something that a specialist would have to speak yeah, about. Yeah. But, but big T trauma is just a differentiation where things like, you know, pop psychology trauma has become a thing where people say I'm traumatized by microaggressions. Yeah, or you know, or um, you know, that that is a genuine thing. People have to deal with that on a day to day basis. Is that but a big T or little T? Or is it a micro T? It, de <laughs> it depends on the person. It depends on the person. But I would say big big T traumas are things when if I say think of someone who you would consider traumatized, there would be things where it's childhood abuse, 
poverty is a big war. one. War, yeah, the, like the the genuine things that are studied and that that there are actual protocols in place to deal with those things where you need genuine professional intervention. Um, whereas I think little T's are, you know, things like a toxic work environment. Those things that yes, they can be very detrimental or something like you know narcissism is a big thing that you see online nowadays. Narcissism is something that's actually diagnosable. It's an actual condition. Being gaslit or being manipulated or being treated poorly doesn't necessarily mean the person is a narcissist, but there are ways that you can deal with someone who shows narcissistic tendencies. So to your best effort, what's the definition of gaslit? Because that's a new word that's popped yeah. up in the last yeah. five years. and It's a thing that I think people go through without realizing what it is, but like you hear you hear it being thrown around in arguments, you know, don't gaslight me or, or you are gaslighting me. But like, what is it exactly? So I, I think the best way to think about it in kind of layman's terms is that the actual act of gaslighting is when someone has the intention of actually doing that. So things like being undermined in an argument or being made to, you know, when people say, you know, it's a very kind of stereotypical example, but if you get in an argument and you say something and the other person says, or you say something like you're acting crazy, and the other person says, don't call me crazy, and you say, oh, I'm not calling you crazy, I'm saying you're acting crazy. That's not gaslighting, but it's it's you're you're doing that. You might not necessarily be doing that to rile the person up. Whereas I think gas, it's just something that happens where the person is made to feel like the other person is actively trying to undermine them or make them feel as if their thoughts and their behaviors are not what they think they're putting across. I think the actual act of gaslighting itself is wanting to actually undermine that person make them feel insecure make them feel as if what they're trying to put across isn't being isn't being um received by the other person because where i have where i have come across it is uh if you have wronged me and i am raising the issue at you that you have wronged me mm -hmm. you turn around and tell me that i am wrong for thinking that you are wrong yeah yeah. And like, and then you throw it at me. You are acting crazy. Why are you overreacting? Yeah. And it's like I'm not overreacting. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm on the back foot, and I'm trying to dig my way out of it. Wait, this is you. This is a thing that you did by conventional standards. Yeah. You, you wronged me. You betrayed me. Yeah. You lied to me. You didn't show up on time. Whatever. But then you get it flipped on you. That's that's my understanding of it. Is that a different thing, or is that close to gaslighting? No, I, I I think that's along the right line. So I I think. I think one thing to be aware of when it comes to gaslighting is so if you is take it an your actual thing or is it yeah 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 so it's not just like this cultural little thing that's squiggle its way well through. it's it's just that kind of pop psychology thing where if you know if you like i mean how many times have you seen people talking about dopamine on instagram it's the same thing where just something is kind of taken it's distilled to a point where people can understand it on a basic level and then it just becomes a black and white thing where people take that very because there's there's nuance in everything people take that black and white definition and a very basic kind of surface level understanding and then they apply it to situations where they might not necessarily be there. Right. So I think what's good to keep in mind is that if you take your situation or your example, if the person who you are reacting to is doing it in order to get a reaction out of you, that would be closer to gaslighting. So what's important to remember is that, you know, the, it's, it's called the, spot, the it's, um, spotlight thinking where you always think that because you are kind of the main character in your own story, that everyone is living their life in relation to your story. Whereas the actual fact is the person who is making you react to something, they are the main character of their story. So they may not be thinking about you when they behave in a certain way or when they make a certain decision, 
So your reaction might be thinking, your basis might be how could they behave that way when they know that it makes me crazy or they know that I'm gonna react a certain way based on what they're doing or they're doing something we haven't agreed to do. Whereas what they're actually doing is just living out their circumstance, their context. They might not be thinking about you at all. Then when you react, their genuine response is, why are you reacting like that? Because they have thought it through in their head and they haven't explained it to you or they're just reacting kind of off the cuff. So I think that the difference is if the person did something to get a reaction out of you so mm. they could turn around and go, why are you overreacting? Why are you acting crazy? That would be closer to gaslighting than just someone who it's makes genuinely, you crazy. Genuinely a psycho. Yeah, yeah. So how, did this, how would this happen in a work environment? Like, what's, do, you, do you deal with that at all commonly in work? Yeah, or is it yeah. So I, I think a, a kind of generic example would be someone who has, you know, I, I had a client recently who had a boss who, I mean, by all intents and purposes, is, is one of the worst examples of a boss I've ever come across. Uh, they are aggressive, they belittle people in front of, of colleagues, they will dress someone down for a very small mistake, and then when that same person makes a much bigger mistake, won't react in the same way. You know, I heard an example where they went out to, to a business lunch, they were hosted by another company, the company had agreed with the restaurant to put on like a business lunch kind of thing, everyone gets, you know, a couple of options, there's a set price, he refused to stick to that. He took the a la carte menu to the point where the company actually had to get special dispensation to pay for the lunch because he had racked up champagne and all of the like lobster dinners. They went to a, a meeting in London and went, he said, you know, this is my favorite place. We have to go here for lunch. They got there. His favorite table wasn't available. He made eight colleagues wait an hour so that he could sit in one seat in one of the busiest, you know, restaurants in central London. So it's it. And he is a very high position, he's a C-suite position, so there are very few people who can, you know, cut him down for these kind of behaviors, who can keep him in check. Um, and so that, you know, that could be a good example where you're constantly in, you know, another thing that's kind of quite popular in pop culture is fight or flight. You know, you could be in, in this situation where you're on tenterhooks, you're on eggshells the whole time, so you don't know if I, I've done this in the past and, re, and he's reacted this way, but I've also made a bigger mistake and he's reacted a different way. So you never know the reaction you're going to get from them. If he is doing this consciously, then that could be an example of gaslighting where his goal is to keep people on edge. So they're constant, consciously, constantly sorry, anxious. They're constantly worried about his reaction. So they don't know what way to behave. You're constantly pushing yourself to the limit doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do and also making mistakes you wouldn't ordinarily do if you were calm and if you felt safe and secure in your position. Um, so it's a very, very difficult thing to deal with mm. because it, it also, for it to be gaslighting, it has to be an actual active behavior in the person where they're doing this in order to get a negative response out of you. Okay, good. Very interesting. I didn't really look at it that way. I, I, I never understood the... Uh, the the that aspect of the intent behind it that the intent has to be there because i i've had i've had people in conversation conversation this is going back to when covid was a thing and the vaccines are coming out and we're trying to have those conversations and it's all new and everyone's anxiety is 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 racked up and uh it, i was having a conversation with one girl and it was a case of like i would almost say it wasn't an argument but she her she wasn't fully formed in what she was saying, and I was slowly 
highlighting that to her in a roundabout way. And she just goes, why are you gaslighting me? And, yeah. and I didn't know what to say because I didn't know what that, I did heard that word. Yeah. But I was like, I, am I? I don't even know if I am. Am I, am I, I'm like, this is not, okay. Uh, anyway, okay, let's not talk about this anymore. And I just was like, that was such a, I don't know if she was right. I don't know if, if, if as by saying that I was gaslighting her, I don't know uh, if it was just her way, her way of throwing a word at me to get me to do to, 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 yeah, to gaslight yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> but I, th- I mean, I think a lot of people. Was she gaslighting me by on. accusing me of gaslighting her? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- I mean, that's that's like four D chess. You know, oh, she's got yeah, you in my the corner. She's no, you, you know. I I think a lot of people have taken it on as a defense mechanism or or as an excuse to be able to get away with more, to, or like you said, to not have to think through your argument. Because, you know, if, if you ever have an argument with someone, if they tell you their side and then you tell them your side, if your side is more well thought out, how many times have you got, you know, in the pub or ch- a colleague, whatever it is, and they just kind of go, ah, shut up, or, ah, and they yeah, just yeah. cut the conversation. Yeah. Or they get personal and they attack you, you know. It, it's that kind of defense mechanism where rather, where she might be realizing, I haven't thought this through, crap, this person has a better argument than I do. So I'm just going to put up a wall that it's put you on the back foot where you're think, thinking, you know, have, have I actually done that to this person? Yeah. And it kind of gives them an, an exit from the argument. Yeah. Um, that, but that. again, it's that, you know, we can't also use those examples to to brush over the fact that it is an actual thing. There are people who actually do it in relationships and work, yeah, whatever yeah. it may be. So it's it's a difficult one to kind of, you know, suss out. All right. Interesting. So 2024, um, new year, new you. Yep. What's uh, what's on the menu then for you and for goal setting? Like, how do you help people? Do you help people? Do you talk to people in the framework of uh, like if I'm sitting if I'm sitting down with you and it's New Year and I want to set up a new plan or I want to come up with a new thing? I'm lost. I'm looking for direction. What advice would you have for me? So um, there, there are a few concepts or a few tools that I'd, I'd like to get into kind of as we go on through the conversation. But I think my, you know, I hate using the word mission. Um, if I, you know, you hear that and a lot of yeah, people kind of roll their eyes yeah. and, you know, but it's, oh, here comes another fellow with a mission. Um, yeah, man, I think everyone should have a mission, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my ultimate, well, you know, pardon the pun, my ultimate goal in helping people set goals is I think that, you know, without sounding too philosophical or, or without kind of going into, into the, you know, pie in the sky thinking, I think the world around us puts a lot of pressure on us from every angle, whether it be appearance, whether it be income, whether it be love life, whatever it may be that, you know, especially the amount of time we're living on social media these days. I know, you know, we can get into social media if you want, but I think there's so much pressure on us to not to project an image of success in whatever category you're you're evaluating and a lot of that as well is because of social media we're put under pressure not just to pursue that success but to project so rather than actually going after it it's how do i make people think that i'm living my left best life and yolo and hot girl summer and all that kind of stuff when in actual fact what you're projecting are the best examples of yourself when you're the one posting but when you're reading you could be in the worst position of your life you don't have the actual facts of that person's life so you could be looking at someone you know a girl's just put up a picture of her hand and she's got this massive rock on her finger oh my you know i'm single or my partner didn't get me that same size ring whatever it may be you've no idea if her fiance had to go into massive debt to get the ring you don't know if 
you know, they had a sudden pregnancy and they've had to shotgun wed it. You don't know the facts. They could be blissfully happy and he's doing really well at work and he can afford the ring or, you know, whatever the reason may be. So I think my ultimate goal is to try and get people to be happy in themselves before they step out the door. Because I think if you can be someone who is content in who you are and content in the tools that you have to deal with whatever comes up in your day, as far as I'm concerned, that's that's the foundation for anything. Whether you want to call it belief, self-confidence, all of these different things, I want to help people to get to a point where they say, ideally, whatever comes up in my day, I'll be able to handle it. But realistically, that whatever comes up in my day, I'll be able to function to as you know whatever i'm satisfied a level that i'm satisfied with so then uh does, yeah, okay there's a bit of bits to, to take apart there or to to drill in on um how do you get people to the point where like what does satisfaction look like to you do you know so again so this is very subjective and and from you know we we don't we won't get into the academia of it but from an academic perspective you know the terminology is really difficult because if I say to you, what do you consider happiness? It could be completely different to me. Yeah, yeah. If you're a parent, if you're single, if you have a job that is a passion, if you have a job that you hate, if you have a big family, if you've no family, whatever, whatever the context, happiness itself is really difficult to, to quantify because it's completely subjective. So I think a, a lot of the scales and a lot of the questionnaires from a psychological perspective that deal with this deal with satisfaction rather than happiness because I think it's easier to quantify whether you're satisfied with a component of your life than it is whether you're happy because we think of happiness a lot of the time if I said think of someone who's happy you know it's a silly example but it's that kind of dancing through a field of you know daffodils and you know having a picnic with the love of your life and all that kind of thing it, that's difficult to quantify what you need to do to be able to get to that point in your life. But it's also difficult to quantify what does that actually mean? Is it spending time with the person you love? Is it being outside? Is it eating good food? Is it having the money to take ho regular holidays? Whatever it may be. So I think satisfaction is a is a better starting off point for people. It, it's more it's easier to measure and it's easier to to figure out are you satisfied with where you are right now based on all of the context around you? Okay. So well, I have done exercises like this with the wheel of life. I, that's one of the things I was going to bring up. Yeah, where you yeah. have all of your little domains yeah. in a circle. Yeah. And you're trying to get from zero, which is the center, yeah. on a straight line towards 10 out of 10 satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. Where are you on that? And you go, bosh, I'm... Well, you can't do satisfaction. It's all your satisfaction, isn't it? So you have to do it with yeah. like family. So so satisfaction really is, is kind of a global yeah, thing. You, you can break it down into components. Yeah. So for anyone listening who's not aware, if you think of it as like a pie chart or like a pizza, each slice of the pizza is a different component of your life. So it could be career, love life, um, family, uh, free time, all of these, whatever. There, there are different components depending on the one you use. And so you, you fill that slice up between zero being the lowest and 10 being the highest. And so it gives you a visual representation. It, you know, it's a really good way to look at where right now do I think I'm happy? Where am I satisfied? Where am I content? Or where am I really struggling? Where do I need to focus? Because I think that's another thing that, you know, 2024, new year, new me, all, all that kind of mentality. A lot of the time when people are in that, you know, when you're in January, 
when you ask people what their goals are, a lot of the time it's the same thing. It's I want to lose weight, I want to be fitter, faster, I want to quit smoking, I want to drink less, I want to eat better. When really a, a lot of those things are kind of individual components or in individual situational things. But really, if you think about it, you know, if, if you want to eat better, but you're really, really unhappy with um, your physical appearance, is do you want to eat better because you want to be healthier or do you want to eat better because you're really unhappy with your self-image and your body confidence? Or a hot so, girl summer. Or hot girl summer, yeah. So, you know, so and, and again, that ties into social media where, you know, you, you're looking at people who can edit their photos and edit their videos when they upload them. So... That, again, that's the thing that a wheel of life is a really good step one thing to do. You can look it up online, fill out those things and just give yourself an idea because it, it's that can't see the wood for the trees thing where yeah. sometimes it can be, I think I need to lose weight. I think I need to do this, whatever it might be. And then you look at it and you actually think, actually, the reason I'm overeating is because I'm really stressed at work and, it, and it's, you know, I'm working 14 hour days. I don't have time to cook really good meals. Sometimes the only boost I can get in a day is to just have the exact food that I want at that time. I've, done, know, a, I've done a couple of times the Wheel of Life thing. Um, and I found the first time I did it, it was like, oh, yeah, OK, I see it. There's a little map of how things are. And, you know, no surprise. I know how I'm doing over here and here and not doing great over here and doing yeah. all right over here. But where it became useful was I forgot about it and I left it and I went about my couple of years. And then uh, it might have been during COVID. Just there was so much downtime. You just yeah. like you look back at things, you go, whatever. So I took it out again and I found the first one. Okay. I had it somewhere. Great. Yeah. And then it became useful. Yeah. Because like I found it, and I was like, all right, well, let me just do this again before I look at it. I was like, oh, yeah, I found it, but let me yeah. do, do a fresh one. So then I looked at the two, and there was obviously some differences. Some were up, and some were down, and some were over. But what I, what I did the second time, which I didn't do the first time, was I actually sort of explained in a note as to why each one was where it was. Yeah, perfect. Because when I look back at the first, and I was like, oh, that's there. I can't remember what was going on back then. Right. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. That's, what, what have I done differently or whatever? But it was actually very more useful and more interesting as a snapshot in like, ah, okay. If I had even done it in more depth where the first time it's like, there's your seven out of 10 and just a little note, what's seven? You know, seven, why not 10? Because this is not right. I don't think this is right. I need to do more of this. So then when you go back to it in six, nine, 12 months, whatever, you can say, oh yeah, you know, I've fixed that. It's like the spinning plates. Now I'm spinning these plates. Oh, I'm not spinning that one over there and that one where that's gone down. Um, so that's where I found out it's actually nice and useful, but I'll have to see if I can find it now because it was 20, I think it was during lockdown. And then the other one I did was way before that. So it'd be interesting as a comparison tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually that that's, you know, it it's a good visual representation, but that's actually kind of step two of it as a tool is that the more specific you can be about where you are at that time, the better it will be because... Um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but one of the kind of one of the best goal setting tools is called Smarter Goals, right? So it's it's an acronym. It stands for specific, measurable, um, achievable, relevant, time specific, uh, evaluation, and reward. So two of those things you've mentioned there. The first one being specific. The more specific you can be about why is it that this is a because it's quite if you know if I said to you you know, rate your your satisfaction with how the gym is going right now. If you said a seven, one, you might say a seven one day and an eight the next day and not really know why you've put seven or eight. It's, you know, it's it's kind of, 
it's a little bit arbitrary whether you're going seven or eight really but if you can specify these are the things that i'm happy with that are, are that are going well right now these are the things that we've planned that haven't happened yet these are the things that we want to happen these are the things that are holding us back the more specific you can be the better it is to kind of get into the weeds and figure out why that's the case and then the e of the smarter is evaluation that's a key po part of any goal setting any process change any behavior change you have to look back at what's happened whether it be every two weeks months six months whatever it is looking at something that you've done in the past if you had written down where you were at that time and then comparing your thoughts and your feelings at that time evaluating where you were at that point compared to where, where you are now like you said you can look at are there areas i need to focus in more am i neglecting other parts or is it just that life has happened you know something like COVID, you can't control that has that just got in the way of of the things i wanted to do and what are the, what are the other tools have you got um so that would be that would be the the primary one um the the other tools that i are that I, I wanted to talk about um and it's it's part of you know what i want to do with clients or what i don't want to do with people in general is um like i said i, I think there's a lot of focus on achievement and outcome um of goals so it's focusing on i want to lose five pounds or i want to get that promotion you know it's it's very it's what's called an end state goal where you get up to a certain point the thing happens and then the goal is over um when in actuality so losing five pounds is a really basic example like i said earlier are you know do you have issues with body confidence is it that you're eating poorly because you're you know you don't have the time to prepare you know home-cooked meals with organic food anything like that so what what i'd like to get into a little bit more is is a theory called self-concept so we'll, we'll get into the tools of, of how you can kind of um improve so some of the tools i want to talk about are, are things to do with self-compassion and self-worth um you know there's also advanced goal analysis um but i i think one of the tools um that kind of comes on from the wheel of life is the thing called the, the stages of change have you heard of that before no guys okay, so it's basic it's just a simple flow chart it's six stages um and it it's useful because it can kind of show you where you are at that point where where you are in the the change process the you know the behavior change process and so um the first step is preconception this is when you know you could be in denial or you could be in ignorance that there is a problem whatsoever you're not thinking about making a change step two is contemplation it's where you're a bit ambivalent about it you're not sure if you need to make a change or you know there's kind of the inkling of the idea that you do need to make a change and then so stage three would be preparation this is when you're thinking about what you need to do you're conscious that there's something that you'd like to change you're you know doing your research you're getting in touch with nutritionists or personal trainers what or just looking up videos on youtube whatever it might be thinking about what it is you need to do and where people go wrong a lot of the time with goal setting with change behavior is between stage three and four which is preparation and action and the two main reasons so action is obviously the stage where you're actually going to the gym or you've started a you know a better eating pro whatever it may be the reason the two main reasons that people struggle to get from preparation to action is confidence and importance so it's do you consider this change to be important enough and are you confident enough in yourself that you can make this change and you can sustain this change long term so that that's kind of the meat and veg of what i like to get into with clients because if you're someone who's in a negative headspace if you're struggling with your mental health or if you're just struggling with 
self-belief, self-confidence, whatever it may be. Setting yourself a goal can be motivational. It can be something to work towards. It can get you out of a, a slump. But if you're already in a place where you don't believe yourself capable of doing something and then you fail to do it, you're not in a place to evaluate your failure. You're not at a place to not take it personally and think, okay, what did I do wrong? I can reset, what can I do better? You're thinking, it's what's called confirmation bias. You already believe I'm not capable of this. Something happened, so it's piling down on the fact that I'm useless, I'm not capable of this. I'll, I'll never lose weight. I'll never quit cigarettes. I'll never give up drinking, whatever it may be. So that that's where self-concept comes in. So self-concept is just, it's an overall evaluation of yourself and involves every aspect of you. And the three things that I'm, uh, there are three components of it, and this is where I'm interested in. So the three components of self-concept are self-esteem, self-image, and ideal image, or ideal self, right? So if I said to you, you know, a lot of people think self-confidence, self-esteem, self-concept, all of these are kind of interchangeable terms. So if I said to you, not to rate your self-esteem, but if I said, what are the things that impact your self-esteem? What would you say? Competence. Competence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else. My self-esteem. Yeah, I would just say competence and... Yeah, let's start with that because okay. I'm struggling to think of something else. Yeah, no, co competence is perfect. Competence is one of the is one of the aspects of self-esteem. Some other ones are self-acceptance, self-confidence falls into self-esteem, but there's also more abstract things. So there's things like a sense of belonging, um, feelings of competence, like you said. There's also security, whether that be in your job or in your position. You know, um, it could be something like we live in a country where you need a visa to live here. You know, so there's always that constant stress of it. Um, things like boundaries, do people um, respect your boundaries? Do they roll over your boundaries, things like this. So what's interesting about self-esteem is a lot of it is external. A lot of it is dictated by the outside world. It's dictated by other people. So going back to that boss earlier on, it can impact your self-esteem if you say to your boss, if he says, I need you to do this, and my client says, that, that doesn't fall under my job description, I'm doing this project right now, and he just goes, forget that, I'm your boss, do what I tell you. You, you have said, this is what I'm being paid to do, this is my job, this is where the boundary is, and he's completely stomped all over it. That's gonna impact, you, that doesn't just finish as soon as you walk out the office door. You bring that home with you, that a lot of the time people internalize these kind of experiences. So. Yeah, you're kinda, it's almost a point like he's not respecting my boundaries, therefore exactly. I must not be worthwhile. Exactly, that level of exactly, respect. Yeah. right. So, and again, the, you know, so a sense of belonging, if you're, you know, the, Again, one of these kind of pop psychology things. There was a study that, you know, I'd say 80% of the podcasts and, and pages and influencers, all these people I follow, referenced in the past month or so, where it was a Harvard study of young people 18 to 25, and they found that the three biggest drivers of anxiety in people of that age were a lack of purpose or a lack of meaning, um, pressure to perform, and loneliness, mm -hmm. right? So if we look at those things... And that's a recent study. That's a recent study. Because what are... Drilling in on those very simple but very broad words. 
what was that like 20 years ago what was that like 40 years ago exactly you know? yeah and and again this you know you can boil it down to to social media another study that came out recently was you know relating screen time to symptoms of anxiety okay. but what they actually found was if you if you actually boil it down to it's not screen time it's social media usage that the more time you spend on social media there is an increase in anxiety unfortunately it seems that it impacts young girls the most mm. um they seem to have suffered the worst um so if anyone's a parent um parent of girls it's really really important to kind of research into this no more so than anyone else but it's just you know to be more aware um, I, wonder, I wonder what did this study talk about how it those three what, what did you say again self-esteem loneliness no, belonging. so, it, so it, they were drivers of anxiety it was loneliness a lack of meaning or purpose and pressure to achieve or perform so did they do a certain similar study and see it 10 years ago 20 years ago and see a difference i think there there would be research going back um there will have been yeah, d yeah. like there will have been studies so the idea now is it's it's higher now than it was before yeah it's and not I, just it is high because of these things we think well i think i think it's one of those things where you know the reality is that the world has become competitive you know you can apply for a job on the other side of the world and whether they provide the ticket or whether if you can afford to get there if you can speak the language whatever, whatever the parameters you're you're now competing with everyone around the world the world has become more competitive the world's become more aware um so i i think there are there are more pressures on people and there are reducing opportunities so even things like ai and and automation you know like the number of people who i don't know if you but like did you ever work in a supermarket or, or any do a job do a job like that when you were a kid yeah that opportunity is becoming less and less for people because there are automation there are AI things that are coming in to do the basic skills that people will do to earn a few quid or to just have yeah. a job rather than being unemployed. Um, so even thinking about those things where, you know, like there, there was a there was a story, I think a couple of years ago, where it was a Starbucks, um, I think it was in London, where they had 25,000 applications for like eight positions, eight, eight barista positions. And they had people ranging from people who had finished school at 16 and had just gotten a job and they had people with PhDs who were coming out of university with the highest qualification you can get and were applying for a barista position um, so I think it's it's it is social media but it's also the world that's happening mm. because of technology because of all these opportunities that are there and and then because of that we're spending so much time online, we're spending so much time in online communities, yeah. we're pulling back from physical communities. People would have gone to, people drink less now, they realize the the, the damage that alcohol can do to you. I don't know about your your parents' generation, my parents would go to the pub, they would have, you know, older yeah. people would go, and especially being Irish, people would go to the pub on a Friday afternoon, they would hang out, or people would go to the pub and watch a match and have a couple of pints. That's very expensive to do now. Yeah, People don't have the time, they don't have the energy. Um, you know, um, uh, social uh, schemes in, in countries that, you know, you don't really have that here in the same way. But, you know, funding for things like um, community centers, all of those are, are being reduced in, in Ireland and the UK, you know, just to talk about what I know about. Um, so even the, the opportunity to, to be part of a community is getting more difficult, it's getting more expensive, it's, it's more energy consuming, it's more time consuming. So we're retracting more and more from physical connection and physical communication. Mm -hmm. We're spending more time on social media, which has all of these negative impacts. 
and then we're in a world that is becoming more competitive and more difficult to to find a foothold in you know you talk about the housing crisis in ireland you know all of these markers are going up and up and up for inflation as well that you know just to buy a, a a spud is now more expensive than it was 10 or 15 years ago so it's all these markers that you might not necessarily think are going into are impacting your idea of yourself but they're impacting you on a day-to-day basis so then when it comes to goal setting when it comes to motivation if you have all of these worries and all of these concerns on a day-to-day basis or if all of these things are impacting your self-image and how you see yourself and what you think you're capable of that's going to have a huge impact on on what you think is an important goal and whether you think you're confident enough in yourself to actually be able to achieve it so um, we we did a quick whip around the other day asking a few people when did you sort of what age did you decide to do the thing you're currently doing so for example Tomas is now a nutritionist but he used to be a teacher I think he was 25 26 before he realized he wanted to make a change and right. you know so from 18 to 25 he's an example of someone who would have scored low on the purpose I'm not really doing what I feel I, I should be doing do you know what he taught I think PE. I think okay. some, something sporty. I don't okay. know whether it was the. I don't know what. I think it was PE. You find that sorry to interrupt, but you, I, you find that a lot with teachers, particularly because a lot of them get into teaching because they were good at that subject at school. So they right. go in. So it's something that you're comfortable with. It's something that you find easy, mm. and then suddenly you're 28 or you're 30 or you're 32, and you realize that you just went into something that you found easy. Now this is not across the board, but you you find that with with teachers or with people who do a job like that. But that's not a bad thing, though. No, 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 not at all. That's like you have a strength. Why are you good at that? Why are you good at maths? Because your your neurology and stuff is good at numbers. You're good at remembering this and that and systematic and at it, whatever, whatever. I'm not good at maths, so I don't even know what you need to be good at to be good at it. But like that's the pathway that they took. So is there? How do you create a purpose then? Like which bit of your young life do you try and tap into and double, triple, quadruple down on to go move into that? skill or into that purpose when you get older like my thing was was just sports sports and activities and health and fitness and wellness and blah 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 yeah so to a point i had no direction until i was a certain age but also as we had in the conversation i wasn't in finance i wasn't in agriculture i wasn't in like maritime exploration you know i was health and fitness so even though i didn't know what i wanted to do i actually sort of did because I wasn't sitting in a finance lecture and doing accounting for my university. I was in some sporty thing. So like, I probably would have said, yeah, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but really stepping back, taking a big bird's eye view of it, I knew I was somewhere in the health and wellness domain, do you know? Um, and then I'm, I imagine people's purpose changes. Do you know, like you go one yeah, day, you're one couple of years you're aiming at this, then either you achieve it or you don't, or something changes, then you're aiming over there. You have family, that's your new purpose. So how do you help people, how do you help people dig out their purpose? Because a sense of belonging is, must be the hardest one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, I think living in the UAE, I think uh, pretty much everyone you encounter will have some kind of relationship with sense of belonging as an issue. Um, they, you know, like my, my wife is American and she, she always says that like, uh, we we moved over when I was 11. Um, so if anyone's wondering why my accent is the way it is, it's because we moved all over the place. I have no accent. I have some weird generic. This kind is of you thing, and your family, not you and your wife. 
Me and my family, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I haven't been married since I was 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. did I not tell you I'm Mormon? Um, Very good. Um, yeah, so, so she says that one of the things she finds fascinating about the UAE is Irish communities when they come out here, that, you know, that there's there's kind of a funny thing where people will move over and what they're looking for is a sense of community. They're looking for familiarity. It's funny sometimes because you get people who say, you know, they're breaking off into the big bad world and they're going to experience life and then they end up in McGettigan's every weekend mm-hmm. and joining the Celts and, yeah, yeah. you know, playing football, whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, I think that's what, you know... So what did your wife find fascinating about that? Just the, the strength of Irish people right. going to every corner of the world and the first thing they'll do is look for an Irish pub. Yeah. Or the first thing, they'll move somewhere else and look for a GAA team to join. Because it's, it eases that all of the uncertainty that comes, you know, like one of the things that, that uh, impacts self-esteem is security. Part of security is feeling like you're part of a community. It's different to sense of belonging, but if you have people that you feel comfortable with, people that you feel like you don't have to learn yeah. necessarily, they have all the same references, they have yeah. the similar context, and it's also you feel like you can rely on them. You know, it, the number of times I've heard someone say, which I... I will pull them up on if there's a, but you know, oh, go to him. He's a great guy. He's Irish. Yeah. I get why people say that, but being Irish doesn't make you a great person. It's just that you would prefer to deal with an Irish person than you would yeah. someone you're unfamiliar with. So what would your wife have done? And like, which there just isn't a backbone, broadly spread American community yeah. around the world. So she doesn't have that option. Well, so she didn't. On her own, of her own accord, but she did because she was working. She's a special needs teacher. She was working at a special needs center in Boston, who have um, a sister school in Abu Dhabi. So they had a program of of transferring American staff to the school in Abu Dhabi. So although she didn't try to do that, yeah. that is in in essence what actually happened naturally, yeah. because they were all put in housing together. They were all Americans together, so they all hung out together, watched the same shows, whatever it may yeah. be. So it, it did actually, funny enough, happen to her. But I think what she found interesting was that it happened to her just by way of the way her job was and her, her company was, but that communities of people will do that when they go, because she had never lived abroad also. Yeah. I think moving abroad and living abroad is, is not unique, but it is very specific to Irish culture exactly. and, and Ireland as, as, as a nation. You know, I uh, that's what I was. That's sort of what I was thinking. Is that like we have it in our blood that yeah. auntie and uncle and great granddad or yeah. great grand uncle went across to the states in yeah. the eighteen hundreds or in the early nineteen forties or yeah. the sixties or whatever. So growing up in my family, there was always an aunt and uncle abroad. Always, yeah. there's multiple, more yeah. than one. So when it came to to leaving, it's like this subliminal thing that's been there forever. And you know, Irish people are all around the world. Yeah. You know that they, they built Boston, they built New York, yeah. they whatever, whatever. So they're all there waiting for you. Yeah. So it's not that scary when you go. I know there's, and when I went to Australia, the first thing I did was call up my mate's older brother who I knew was there. Right. He got me a job. Yeah. So now I'm working with the guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like uh, uh, one of my best friends from school is uh, living in Melbourne right now. And he said, like, it's funny how it kind of dipped down during COVID, but post COVID, he said every fella in the gym is wearing a GAA jersey. Now he said, "You, there are just GAA jerseys everywhere. There's O'Neill shorts mm. everywhere in Australia." Um, yeah, I, and I would say that's more to do with the Irish traveling and moving. Yeah, and I mean, okay not with, you know, not to get too dreary, depressing Ireland. Yeah, and not to get too far into it, you know, there is an argument that you know, the establishment has relied on emigration as an economic yeah, policy yeah. for, 
you know, yeah. low-income people. Don't have to get into that. But yeah, I mean, it's it is just it's it's just part of us as a community. I think. So we got lucky then with our sense of belonging, almost because we can leapfrog in a place like Dubai. You yeah, and it, it provides that sense of security. So it's two things you don't necessarily. So how do you do the terp the purpose? Because this I think is an important thing. Yeah. Because this helps people in their, in their fitness realm figuring out a purpose what are they training for what are they but like there's a deeper level of what are you just doing in life yeah yeah and so and again th this is where things like uh self-acceptance and self-confidence can can play a big role so self self-acceptance is an aspect of self-esteem and I, I saw a video recently of you know one of these kind of business influencer kind of guys his name's alex hormozy some good points some things i wholeheartedly disagree with but he was talking about this this movement of self-acceptance and how he wholeheartedly rejects it because his interpretation of it is that people are saying i am good enough exactly as i am and i don't need to change you know to be worthwhile let's say and i understand where he's coming from from a business perspective where you know there are certain you know you could argue that a lot of the time it isn't a meritocracy when it comes to business, when it comes to success, when it comes to life, there's a lot of nepotism, there's a lot of luck. Like you said, you know, you land in Australia, your your mate gives you a job, could end up being a job that you're in for the next 25 years and you're massively successful. But at the same time, I think what self-acceptance, as far as my interpretation boils down to, is that you don't, you're not just, or you're not quantifying your worth or your value as a human being based on external measures. And I think that can play a huge part in your purpose and your meaning. Because if you are saying, I am not a worthwhile, I don't deserve love and I don't deserve peace and happiness and success because I don't fit in the right size t-shirt or because I don't have the right bank balance or I don't drive the right car. Again, that can, that can tie into, if you are saying that I will be happy when I buy this car, when I get this promotion, when I get to this certain yearly income, there's there's no real end point because you get to that point. If you're lucky, then you'll feel happy and you'll feel content in yourself when that happens. In reality, what normally happens is you get to that point and you realize it isn't what you were looking for. And now what was 60 grand a year is now 80 grand a year. And when you hit 80, if you're lucky, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are struggling to even get to 60 these days suddenly 60 becomes 80 and suddenly 80 becomes 100 and the two bed flat that you and your wife absolutely adore or you and your partner is suddenly now you know a three bed semi-detached and then suddenly it's a house with a garage and a massive garden and you know two cars so i think what what i like to so to bring it back if if you focus what i like to focus on is more building self-compassion and building self-worth because what I like to try and get across is this idea that you are worthy and you are valuable as a human being regardless of what your output or what your achievements are. If you then want to set goals that will optimize your life, that will improve your life experience, whatever it may be, that's fantastic. I can then help you set out those goals. But again, with purpose and meaning, and it might be the same with Tomas, where he, he went into something that he was good at and he found it easy. There was no challenge, especially once you get through those first two, three years that by all accounts in teaching is horrific. You get through that early bump and all of a sudden you hit a groove, you're in your rhythm, you know what you're doing, you know the curriculum, you've dealt with kids of different ages, you know how to, you know how to handle them. 
now there's no challenge now all it is is you're doing something that you find easy so if you you know if you look at yourself take your training program if you if you said i want to bench a certain amount and then you got to that thing and then you never pushed on from that point if you are if you were naturally a strong person and you said a good you said a level that didn't really challenge you there's no point in going you'd get to the point where you just say why why am i doing this anymore what's the purpose in doing this if i'm not challenging or if i'm not getting anything out of this so i think there are self-compassion exercises there are things you can do we can go through them if you want but a lot of it is is journaling and it's writing writing down statements but it's really if if you can focus on self-awareness and self-understanding what are the things that you like to do what are the things that you want to do what are the things that bring you joy and satisfaction and contentment like you said as a parent it could be i want you know you come from a, a low-income background your parents really struggle they work multiple jobs that you didn't have a lot growing up your purpose may be i want to get to a point where i earn enough where my children don't want anything or you could come from a background where your dad did really well but he was always at work so your purpose may be i want to be there for my children i want to support them i want to be at home every day at six o'clock to have dinner with them read them a story and tuck them in and then that becomes effectively the mission exactly yeah, yeah exactly so it brings us back to that word mission yeah which that's why earlier on when you said you don't like to use it, I, would, I would be saying use it like you you need it you you need a mission statement, I think, because you need something to be able to, the self-talk. It's not just telling people what you want to do, because that's the, you're afraid to say, my mission is because you're afraid it's going to be rejected by whoever you're talking to, you know? So you just got to, you got to own it. You just got to push it and say, look, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm here for. But I do, I do uh, sort of reading in between what you're saying, I do also think it, it can change over time and it, you can have multiple you can have multiple yeah, lines of purposes. You yeah. know, your family life, it's this. Your financial life, it's that. They do cross over, but the how to get the balance and how to get, uh, how to take the steps to get there, that's the never-ending challenge, isn't it? Because yeah. you figure out a small path and then the path, the, the, the ground, the path is on in the future changes and you gotta, you got to readapt. Um, so where could you, are you present on social media? Do you have a website? Yeah, yeah. Um, got the, uh, unfortunately my previous Instagram was hacked, so I've just started a new one. So apologies for the fact that it's starting up again. It doesn't look great, but it's, uh, Richard OM coaching on Instagram and cool. Richard OM, uh, coaching at gmail.com as well. Lovely. Okay, cool. Well, so uh, as I say, any of the, the tools I mentioned, any worksheets, um, if anyone wants to get in touch, not even necessarily for coaching, I'd love to speak to people about that, obviously, but any, um, any worksheets, any resources, anything like that. If people are interested by anything we've talked about, then give me a shout and I can point them in, in the right direction at the very least. Yeah, beautiful. All right, well, thanks for coming in and hopefully we'll thanks catch up again me. sometime soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you.